Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Katrina Lee on the inspiring story of the 17 missionaries who were kidnapped late last year in Haiti. I think that's what I'm walking away with, is that God can can work even when there is um, diversity of opinion and disagreements and, and whatnot. Um, he worked to bring them all to safety, and whether he used the ransom somewhat and the escape or, and I don't there's no way to know that, but you know, he, he inspired them to escape. He, he worked it out in his own time and, and not one single person in that story can say that I accomplished this. There's nobody that can say that, only God. Katrina Lee, next. We'll hear the details in today's conversation, but it was late last year when 17 mostly young missionaries were kidnapped in Haiti. Behind the scenes, government officials and missionary leaders grappled with how to address the crisis. And of course, people around the world prayed for their safe release. Katrina Lee has written Kidnapped in Haiti, the amazing story of 17 missionaries. Katrina interviewed all the missionaries for the book. Katrina, what can you tell us about the missionaries? I understand they're Mennonites, as you are, and what it was that they were doing in Haiti. Yeah, um, they were involved in a lot of different, uh, like, education. They supported about 7,000 Haitian school children with Mm. different, um, I don't know, like supplies, maybe lunch, um, meals, things like that. They uh, were involved with a medicine program, like... um, I think it was mostly like providing medicines to other to clinics across Haiti and not just Mennonite ones, but anybody that, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that needed help. Uh, And so they had just different, different things that they would do. They had a pastor training program. um, And of course, some of the missionaries were there as, as cooks (laughs) to, to enable, enable the others to, um, to do their jobs. The largest family, that was there was there short term, and they were uh, part of the pastor training program. So they would have short term people come as well. The one really short term uh, missionary that had just arrived the day before was there for construction work to help recover after the er- uh, the earthquake that hit um, southern Haiti. I believe it was in August before that happened. August of 2021, there was a an earthquake in southern Haiti. Yeah. And how long had they been in Haiti at the point that they were kidnapped? That particular man arrived the day before. Mm. So he had just arrived. But most of them, I think all except three had been there for only like six months or less. Mm. And then there were three that had maybe, you know, between maybe two and five years of experience um, in the country. So there were only a few that were really comfortable with the language as far as Haitian Creole. Did they speak the language? Yeah, they there were a few that, mm. that spoke Haitian Creole, but not everyone. So yeah, a lot of the the newcomers didn't, yeah, didn't know what was being said around them and and that kind of thing. And can you give us uh, the uh, sort of the demographic uh, breakdown: men, women, children. Yeah, so there were um, six men, six women, and five children. Mm. Their average age was twenty two, so it was a really a young set. Oh, yeah. of, I mean, of course, the children. Um, there was the oldest lady that was along was fifty, I think, but it was it was a bunch of young people. And they lived. In a compound, I would imagine. Yeah, they all lived in in the same mission base, um, just a little bit north of Port-au-Prince, which is the capital mm-hmm. capital of Haiti. Yeah. And so they were, uh, as you said, they were involved in, I guess you could call it humanitarian relief yes. education. 
Well, and also, I guess I didn't mention that they also did preaching and like, um, you know, teaching the gospel and things like that. I That kind of goes without saying, but they did, they did do that as well. Yeah. Evan- evangelism. Yeah, even to the gangs. I mean, they had been doing this at at their own um, around their own compound before all this happened. They would, you know, preach to the the gang leaders and things like that. What can you tell us about the day they were kidnapped? How did it happen? Um, what they were doing that day was visiting an orphanage, and they actually uh, were not involved in many orphanages. I guess orphanages in Haiti have a lot of corruption, so they didn't. They were very selective. Like you would give them money, and then maybe the money would go to the wrong thing. So they were very selective about orphanages but this one was one was run very well and so they just wanted to visit see how things were going see if there was any way they could support them i suppose and so it was just a visit to an orphanage and um they let people know they were doing this and then a lot of people wanted to go along some people that were new to the country you know thought it would be just a great exposure to kind of get out and see see what was what was happening at the orphanage and kind of, yeah, just a good experience. They set out to do that. And, um, you know, obviously in, in these national news stories, there's a lot of criticism that goes on to it. I think some people criticized them, like, why were you out on the roads in such a dangerous country? A lot of um, all the ministry, CAM has ministries around the world. So they, and, and a lot of their ministries and, and mission bases are in countries that are do not travel on the U.S., um, mm. you know, the U.S. Uh, list. Um, so they knew it was dangerous and they, that's how Haiti has always been. And, um, anyway, just a side note on that. Yeah. The director did say that he, that it crossed his mind, but he also thought it would be good, um, for the people to just get out and see the country and, you know, see what it's, what's happening out there. And he also had never, I don't believe any white Americans had ever been kidnapped in Haiti before. So I don't think that was even on the level of concern. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah. they they were out and about, uh, and and Christian Aid Ministries, which they were a part of, they were known to go into areas that could be considered uh, hazardous, at least. Yes. Uh, and yeah. so as they were out, that's when they were taken. Yes, they they were actually on their way back. They they'd been to the orphanage. They saw there was a like some burning tires on the way, but everything looked fine on the way back. They were going back and. Um, saw a roadblock, decided to turn around and go 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 back, which <laughs> even that decision was kind of a big deal, maybe added five hours to their trip or something. I don't know, but they knew they should probably turn around, turned around and headed back and a truck flew around them, flew in front of them, cut them off. And there were gun barrels sticking in their faces almost immediately. And, and yeah, after that, they weren't making their own decisions. <laughs> How many have you had the opportunity to interview in this group all uh, of them i've, uh, I've talked to oh. every every single one uh for yeah i've gotten all of their stories i mean the children maybe not there was a baby that was eight months old oh. so i guess we didn't have much of a conversation <laughs> but yeah so under what conditions were they held can you can uh, you, you describe where and and how they were treated that kind of thing so the first night they were locked into a room um that was i believe something like 10 by 12 feet mm. um it was a small room for 17 yeah. people. Um, they weren't really told what was going on. And I think, I think they had a fairly high level of concern initially, mm-hmm. obviously, yeah. as you would. Um, it, it did become apparent to them, I think, within the first week or so. So they were held for a total of 62 days. Um, but in the first week, I think they began to realize that they probably weren't going to be killed, um, but that their value was uh, for ransom. 
So I think their concern about, or even for the women, as far as, um, you know, concerns for the women, mm-hmm. of course, they were worried about that at the beginning. And um, thankfully, there was no assault or anything like that um, through that time, which is just a huge praise. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And and they began to realize that, no, they weren't, they weren't, yeah, mm-hmm. going to be killed. They, the, the, the treatment, I think, um, was much better for them than a lot of the Haitians who had been kidnapped, you know, like I think they did kind of think, well, these are are Americans. And so, you know, we we should at least try to like, they weren't tied up, um, which some of the others were and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, But it was, I mean, yeah, it was still extremely stressful. And occasionally they would suddenly be moved to another location. Like everybody, everybody out in the, you know, in the truck and let's go. And, and at those times, then maybe they thought, well, maybe we are going to be killed after all, you know, maybe the, you know, they had some of those thoughts come back when there would be a sudden change and nobody knew what was happening and, and things like that. But I think that just the mental stress was the worst for them, honestly. And they, I mean, they didn't have much food. They were, they were hungry a lot. They talked about food a lot. Um, there was a nursing mother and she lost weight and she was, you know, didn't have extra weight to begin with. So they were, they were, it wasn't pleasant at all. No showers. And you said they probably, or they re, they realized that probably they weren't going to be killed. I mean, what what was the, what gave them that sense that that their lives were probably not in danger? I mean, initially they they didn't know that. So initially they were scared. They got lined up beside a van, and then they yeah they thought they would be killed. Yeah. But um, I think, well, the the captors may have actually told them that, um, but mm. just a sense that they were in for the long, like they were bringing them mattresses and things like that. Like they, they, they brought in a mattress like here. It, it, they, they started to get the feeling that they were um, <laughs> trying to make them comfortable for a long time. And they didn't really like that either because they wanted to go home, but, but it didn't feel like a thing where they were going to be killed. Um, and they knew that they'd be worth more alive sure. than dead as far as ransom goes. So well, my guest today on His People is Katrina Lee, and she is the author of the book Kidnapped in Haiti, The Amazing Story of 17 Missionaries. The story, of course, was uh, very big last year. As Katrina just explained, they were held captive for 62 days. And, I, I want, of course, I'm going to get to it later on, Katrina, but they were released, wasn't it late last year, kind of near this time? Do, do you know do you know the date when they were released? Yes, December December 16th. As you said, they were they did not necessarily have enough food. Were they given medical care if they had some kind of medical problem or did you get a sense of that? Yeah, there was a one of the um, men had a health condition and normally took medications every day. Um, I think they made an attempt and there were behind the scenes some even some like local Haitian people who wanted to help and mm. And so there were some medications sent in. I don't think anything was identical to what he normally um, took, but they made an effort. But yet it, it, um, it, yeah, it certainly wasn't exactly what he needed. And he did get very sick and was actually released. He was the first person that was released um, a little bit before Thanksgiving. Mm. And this, this issue of kidnapping people, I mean, that's a, that's a major problem in Haiti, right? I mean, this isn't, oh. this wasn't something new in, in that culture. It's, it's terrible. It's almost like they are in some areas that the gang is the government and it's just a really bad system of taxation or something. Like if you get on the wrong, tr- if you get mm-hmm. on the wrong um, road, they, they just expect that, that you might get kidnapped and then you call all your friends and try to raise the money to get, get away. So, yeah. Well, at what point uh, 
in the captivity, did the captors make their motives known for kidnapping the missionaries? I mean, uh, yeah, at what point do they go go public and say, okay, this is this is what we want? Oh, it was the first day mm. um, that they called. Like, they asked the missionaries, tell us your director's number. And, mm-hmm. and they told them, I think, to call him and, and demand money or something. But anyway, he they, yeah. Right away. They called. They called. Yes, right away. And what did they say they wanted? A million dollars for each person. So, I mean, that was his his statement. Of course, it was probably an exaggeration or not actually the real number that he would have settled for, but $17 million. Yeah. A very, very grand, the director who was not along was back at the at the mission camp. He just said, well, you're dealing with the wrong people. Um, <laughs> we're here to serve God and we don't. Yeah. He, he just told him that's not something that that's not even really part of the conversation. Um, of what we what we want to do, so and, and they they have a policy. I mean, most mission missions agencies have policies have non ransom yeah. policies, and I, I assume Christian yes. aid ministries same thing. They did, yes. But, I mean, for those of us that don't remember the story, I mean, what happened next? How did the captors respond to that? I mean, usually if you say there's no money in this for you, I mean, that doesn't typically bode well for the, right. the kidnapped people. Right. They kind of went back and forth for, I think, a week or so with it. You know, he would curse and and the, the leader of the gang would curse and, you know, swear and whatever and say that it's money or 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 nothing. You know, they, they you have to, you know, they offered some humanitarian aid to them um, instead of money and they weren't interested in that. And it mm-hmm. was just um, a long, yeah, it wasn't really going anywhere. Um, and then the yeah, I the I believe the um, so there were people in Ohio like the U.S. government, official FBI, whoever was helping them, and I don't I don't get a lot of those details because a lot of it's secretive. But mm-hmm. they kind of told um, the the team in Ohio that well, <laughs> you know, we can go in and rescue them, and we'll have to go in and rescue them by force if we don't pay ransom, and you know, if something bad starts happening, we'll go in and rescue them by force. Well, Cam being a nonviolent organization and they, they didn't want that. They yeah. didn't want um, the army to go in and rescue them by force. And people, they said, and I think they told them an average of two or three people would die for sure of their people and probably some gangsters as well. Hmm. Um, and so they didn't really want that option either. And so they did, they ended up turning it over to like a, um, a negotiation, somebody. And I, it, it was very secretive. Like it was all like, <laughs> Like, we're not going to really tell you who these people are for their own safety, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, just for the safety of everybody involved. So, so I can't tell a lot about that part of it. I don't even know myself. Yeah. So so who did the negotiating? We actually we actually can't put a name, a face, That's or an exactly organization. That's exactly right. I don't, there's, there's almost nobody that, that, I mean, I'm sure there are, yeah, obviously there are a few, but it was secretive on purpose for the sake of other people being kidnapped as well and that kind of thing. Well, if you can, and, and, and you obviously were following this extremely closely uh, mm-hmm. from your home there in Indiana, um, for, for obvious reasons, as you've explained, what kind of prayer was going up for these people? I mean, how was the church, not not, not only uh, the Mennonite aspect of the Christian church, mm-hmm. but the Christian church in general and globally uh, engaged yeah. in, in, really, in, in praying for <laughs> these people? Oh, there were so many people praying. Um, actually, when we wrote the book, then they let me like try to sort through all the emails that had come in from people saying that they were praying, and um, it was it was really amazing across the country. Different, even like um, some Christians from persecuted 
countries that were in, probably experiencing hard times themselves that would talk about how they were um, praying for these people. And um, and so we we picked out just a few of them to include in the book, like some some of the really the prayer emails and the prayer stories that came in. Some of them, the timing I love as a writer, I love finding like, oh, you know, on October 22nd, this person was praying and then what was happening in gangster camp. That's what they called a gangster camp at that time. Oh. And um sometimes just the correlation of seeing that, oh, they were dealing with spiritual warfare on that night, and here these people were praying, uh, was just really amazing. Now, did they have a, an opportunity to, well, obviously they did, they interacted with the captors, but there was any opportunity to uh, to share their faith, to share what they were doing oh, yeah. there? Oh, they, they, they did oh. it all the time. Now, uh, keeping in mind that only a handful spoke Creole well, and the captors did not speak English. So on a, on a normal day, there was no English speaking Haitian there. Um, and so, but, but there were a couple and uh, Sam, especially Sam was one of the young men and he was very vocal in his faith. He would preach to them, I think every day. Um, and they would sing songs every day. I think they had two, um, it was two, two prayers or, or like two, um, like a morning and an evening devotional time where they would sing sing songs and just share, pray. Um, and then they added a third noontime prayer specifically for deliverance partway through. So, And were these prayers done in English and in Creole? Um, I, I think they had to do them mostly in English yeah. because the children, well, well they wouldn't understand were, most it. of the people didn't understand Creole. Yeah. 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 Any sense of? I mean, did they get feedback from the captors regarding? Uh, I mean, they realized that they were they were kidnapping what they would hope were uh, Americans that were going to lead them to the you know the pot of gold, but yeah. but they also yeah. maybe they weren't aware that they were going to be hearing the gospel in the context <laughs> right. of that. Well, and it's so sad too. I know the some of the missionaries who were kidnapped came away with a sense of of just a sadness for the captors because mm. some of them had grown up in terrible circumstances and had joined the gang as a means of security and as a means of being a part of a bigger team. Some of them had Christian background and, you know, um, so mm. it was really difficult that way. I think often though the, the captors just made fun of them, like of Sam preaching to them about the gospel. I think he, they would even say, you know, well, I'm planning to go to hell. That's, that's what I want to do or whatever, things like that. Um, so, it, so it was really sad there, but of course we don't know the end of the story. We don't know what they're thinking about <laughs> today as they think back on that. So, well, well, and there was just quickly another yes. another person who was kidnapped, who um, Sam actually did bring him, lead him to the Lord um, during their time there, and so that was really exciting. I think for all of them, like another uh, Haitian um, uh, man that had been kidnapped and was being held as well. So there were other kidnapped people in their sphere there sometimes it seemed like it kind of came and went this hmm. was toward the end but yeah occasionally they would see other people i think the other uh captives were told to not talk to them uh they would they did smuggle food and water because they were treated better than the haitian um captives hmm. which it, it was what it was but yeah. then they would try to smuggle food and water underneath the door to the ones that were not being treated as well well, we're obviously yeah. skipping over uh, large segments of yeah. the story, hence getting the book and people can fill in all of those gaps. But what can you tell us about how they were finally released? I know there's a combination of, of release and escape in that. Mm -hmm. This is what kept me up at night uh, last January, February, just kind of 
uh, trying to write this well and um, and really capture what I could, knowing that I don't have any first person um, witnesses among the gang to really obviously say their side of the story. It was it was difficult because a, there was a news organization that came out and said that the that the twelve were uh, released by the gang, um, and the the missionaries themselves were very adamant that they were uh, that they escaped. And listening to them, it was very clear that they escaped. I mean, they they were locked into the house that night like normal, mm-hmm. um, and that's not how you release somebody. <laughs> you don't release them by by hurting them all into the house at night and shutting the door and like. The, the gang leader was yelling at the other guards, like, do your job. You're supposed to be guarding this house. So there was no question in my mind that they did escape. What actually was happening behind the scenes in the gang? Because there was some ransom paid. Now, that's that's a, that's public knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we didn't quite get that far. There was some ransom paid. And whether, you know, did that ransom affect their decision, the gang, to whether or not to pursue them or not? There's no way to know mm-hmm. because we don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know that part of it. So um, I think it was a complicated, a complicated situation, but it was the most beautiful story of the way God worked it all out. And if God used some of the ransom as part of that, I don't know, but you can, um, yeah, just the, the way he led them to escape is incredible. Like they were in disagreement with each other. The missionaries were in a fairly severe disagreement about whether to escape or not. And um, just the way God kind of led them to be all on the same page is, is oh, I just, I'd get the chills writing mm. it and then I'd start crying. And it was, it was, it was, it was, it's a great story. Was there any sense that possibly the, 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 the captors might have looked the other way as they escaped? Well, that, that obviously that was the whole, um, the whole question. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a really a good way to, answer that obviously yeah. without <laughs> without um knowing for sure but um one thing i heard l- that i hadn't heard at the beginning when they were in the house yet preparing to escape one of the missionaries was looking out and he saw one of the guards walking and the guard said i feel god hmm. he was like a little he was like kind of agitated and he said i feel god and i just thought that was like um, hmm. I don't know. God was at work, no matter how it happened. Um, yeah. I, they, there's no evidence that they knew that they left for sure. Well, they're, yeah. Anyway, it's it's complicated. Um, but I don't think that what happened was necessarily consistent with them walking away. But we don't know the whole or letting them walk away. Mm. Um, it just wasn't consistent at all with the character of the guards that they had no one for all these weeks. Um, so yeah, they definitely were not released. Uh, there's no question about that. And we don't know the story of the guards from their side. So, and you say it's public. So uh, how, how much ransom was actually paid total? Well, that, that part, I don't know. And that is not public. And I don't even think uh, there's, I don't even know who knows that, um, way less than, than they were asking for. I mean, there's no question about that, but, um, yeah, the, the, the people, the team that that Cam um, agreed to let them negotiate, they they worked with that, and they did pay um, some ransom. But the the problem was that was 10, 15 days before they escaped. So they had said, "Pay us this ransom, we will release everybody." Well, 
They didn't. <laughs> they didn't. They yeah. didn't. Time passed and time passed and time passed and um and they were still there and um and then finally they did they did leave that night. So yeah, it's it's a very interesting yes. very interesting story. And I I kind of came to say, you know what, God was working and he worked uh, miraculously. And the only eyewitnesses I have are twelve adults who were not on drugs, <laughs> unlike the guards. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, oh. the guards were all on drugs and uh, whatever they said might be true, but you know, it, it very, whatever. I, it wouldn't stand up in court, anything I heard. It's unknown who paid the ransom. That's not known. Or is it? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, and, and so they escaped and the captors They've been captured, right? Well, the one the one gang leader was um, actually brought to the United States for trial, um, and I haven't looked at that just recently. But mm-hmm. I I don't think that the probably most of the guards that that the missionaries were familiar with and that had worked with I haven't heard really anything of their what happened with them. Yeah. You're a nurse. You're familiar with some of these things. Uh, how are they doing? Is there any, uh, you might call it post-traumatic stress or anything like that going on? You know, I talked to all of them in January, which is a, or in February, a few months after it happened. And honestly, I, they all seem to be doing really well mm. now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't know. Um, you know, I know the, the three-year-old boy um, occasionally would would talk about something that had happened, um, and there was a traumatic scene where they tried to separate the six year old from his mother because uh, she they were released early. Five of them were released earlier, like before the escape. Um, so yeah, but you know I think they were trusting the Lord, and they went through some really difficult times. But I I think that he kind of just protected them in some ways as far as they seem to be doing really well mentally. Um, some of them are back on the mission field. So wow, that, not is in that, Haiti. Not in Haiti, but they're back on the mission field. A couple of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Dale is back in Liberia, in Africa, mm. and Sam Sam has been back to Haiti, and I'm not exactly sure where he is right now, but he certainly went back um, to Haiti. So <laughs> the preacher, yeah, he's he. You know, he he wrote in his journal that dying as a martyr would be. Um, he feels like that would be a, a just a way to best way to honor God would be to die as a martyr. And so I, I don't think he. Yeah, they they didn't like being kidnapped, but they weren't really afraid to die either. <laughs> and they were ready to serve the Lord, however however it however it took. It was just a complete privilege to talk to all of them because they they were very inspiring, just their faith and and the way they worked together and and the way they. <laughs> that God finally brought them all together at the end. It was it was amazing. Well, Katrina Lee is my guest today on His People. Her book is Kidnapped in Haiti, The Amazing Story of 17 Missionaries. As she said, they were uh, finally released. They, uh, the, the last group escaped on December 16th of last year. Are there any lessons, Katrina? This is kind of, I'm wondering from your perspective, or maybe what you've heard uh, Christian Aid Ministries say, but any lessons for missions organizations or missionaries that uh, came out of this incident, Mm. this account? Yeah, well, I don't know. Even um, one thing that comes to my mind, there was a lot of disagreement um, about whether or not to pay ransom. That was, that was a a huge, um, a huge thing. And from my perspective in looking at it, what I learned is that 
everybody I talked to, I had a lot of respect for and a lot of admiration for. I talked to the board in Ohio, you know, the people that were making the decisions. And, you know, everybody, everybody, I think, was doing their absolute best to to do the right thing and have a good outcome. Um, and I, I think that's what I'm walking away with is that God can can work even when there is um, diversity of opinion and disagreements and and whatnot. Um, he worked to bring them all to safety and whether he used the ransom somewhat and the escape or, uh, and I don't, there's no way to know that, but you know, he, he inspired them to escape. He, he worked it out in his own time and, and not one single person in that story can say that I accomplished this. There's nobody that can say that only God. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's not a direct lesson, maybe for for missions, but just just how how expert God is at 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 managing mm. <laughs> problems that seem so huge, um, and even when we disagree, I yeah, it was that was difficult to write about because you know some of the administration disagreed and and um, but yet I respected everybody's everybody's opinion on the matter. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Katrina Lee, author of Kidnapped in Haiti, The Amazing Story of 17 Missionaries. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Kirsten Burkett on the value of Christian journaling to help us grow in our Christian lives. But what I'm most interested in is how is it a means of spiritual growth? Because it's it's great to have emotional help and uh, development, but spiritual growth is even more important. And that's where I found the Puritans so enlightening, saying that this isn't just a kind of way of getting through the day, it's actually a way of growing closer to God. And that's where it becomes most powerful. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.